Welcome to Your Personnel File, a podcast at Army Human Resources Command. Your Personnel File explores the programs, policies, and initiatives designed to serve you, the soldier, veteran, and family member. Now, let's join our host, Master Sergeant Glenn Riddell, and find out what's inside Your Personnel File at HRC. Welcome to the HRC Personnel File, a monthly podcast that explores the U.S. Army Human Resources Command and the various missions, programs, policies, and initiatives that serve you, the soldier, veteran, and family member. I'm your host, Master Sergeant Glenn Riddell, and this is your HRC Personnel File. On this edition of the HRC Personnel File, we're talking about AIM-2, the Assignment Interactive Module 2. AIM-2 is a web-based system designed to advance Army talent management for officers by giving them more control over their careers while ensuring readiness by providing the Army Human Resources Command with the data and tools to place the right officer in the right position at the right time. Here with me in the studio today to talk about AIM-2 is Colonel Greg Johnson, the Director of Officer Personal Management Directorate, Major Chris Fisher, an analyst in OPMD, and Captain Audley Campbell, the Infantry Branch Career Manager. Gentlemen, thanks for taking your time out of your busy days to join me in the studio. And before we even dive into AIM-2, Colonel Johnson, sir, I'll turn it over to you to introduce yourself to the audience, and then over to Major Fisher and Captain Campbell, uh, you'll follow up last. Sir, over to you. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Really excited to be here this afternoon to talk a little bit about what we call the marketplace. Um, You you introduced it as AIM-2. It's known as that as as well, and then it's also known um, by another acronym called ATAP. But nevertheless, it's it's the market. It's what we're, we're using to really shape the assignments of officers throughout the the AC force uh, in the Army. Uh, And just really excited to have this opportunity to talk today. I'm kind of surrounded by two real superstars uh, that have been on the HRC team here uh, for a little while. Chris Fisser has a lot of expertise. He's an analyst. He's a a super guru when it comes to algorithms and, and data and everything that has to go with, you know, how this thing gets executed for our Army. And then Audley Campbell is uh, on the infantry desk, and they're both going to talk a little bit, but, you know, he's also just really keen on, on trying to think through how do we build readiness in our units and build strategic readiness long-term for the infantry officers in the Army. So. Uh, really happy to be here, and I'll pass it over to Chris to talk a, a little bit about himself. Ooh, thanks, sir. So, uh, Major Chris Fisher, I'm a functional area 49 or ORSA, and I work as a manpower analyst in OPMD. And really, what I do is kind of provide direct support to people like Audley, you know, the career managers, and then also the account managers representing the unit. So, I provide them a lot of support and uh, work with some of the data and some of the technical aspects of the market kind of behind the scenes. So that's really where my focus is. And um, with that, I'll pass it over to you, Audley. Good afternoon, team. So Audley Campbell here. I'm currently a junior captain uh, career manager, so I I take captains from the time to go from PME to the time they take command. And then previous to this, I was also the senior captain career manager, which takes officers out of command through through their PME to ILE. And so um, have, I've had about four cycles of experience, and I've seen about 1,000 officers go through this process. And with that, a lot of things learned that I'd like to share with everyone. Thanks, gentlemen. Uh, so, Sir Major Fisher, we'll start with you. Um, if you want to give the listeners a little bit about what AIM-2 or the marketplace is, kind of how does it work, and how is it different from the way we previously assigned officers in the active component force? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. So. I think um, 
the, in terms of a brief description, AIM2, when we talk about the marketplace, you can think of it as sort of a portal. It's a, it's a place where officers and units can log in. They can see a lot of data about each other. So officers can see data about units and units can see data about officers. And it's at the end of the day, it's a preference portal. So it's a place where those officers, based on the data they gather through their process, can preference units and units can preference officers. Um, the biggest change, we talk about changing and kind of how it has changed from the way we used to do things. Um, two big ones, one is units get a lot more input. So I think officers have always had some input into their assignments uh, through working with their career managers. I know I did in the legacy system, but now the system is, is very robust. It, lets it gives officers a lot of transparency in terms of seeing what's out there and what's available. It provides transparency to officers in terms of being able to input their preferences into a system that we can then analyze their preferences and make sure that um, career managers are assigning officers in the best way to advance that officer's career and, and ensure talent alignment. But importantly, it, it gives units a vote on the officers they receive like they've never had before. And so units can really hone in on the talent alignment there. No, thanks, sir. And Colonel Johnson, I'm going to turn this over to you. But my question is then, what Major Fisher said make, makes total sense, right? But you as a career-long AG officer, as a senior person in this room, can you elaborate more for us of that legacy system? Uh, and then why is this better? In, in, you know, in your expert opinion here as the senior folk in the room, the director of OPMD, I'll turn it over to you, sir. Yeah, no, thank, thanks. Um, and really to, to just tie into what Chris said, for, for me, it's the, the level of transparency is important, right? We're, we're trying to drive the openness and discussion between officers and units and commanders um, to a level that we maybe have not had in the past. And then kind of showing how that plays out and, and, and how that works to ensure that we're maintaining readiness unit, uh, readiness status in those units. So for me, it's, it's transparency. It's, it's a direct dialogue with officers. It's asking officers um, to identify talents that they have um, that maybe uh, our legacy personnel system didn't have uh, that, a clear sight picture on. And you know, what, one example I, I love to use um, as I talk to folks out in the field is, um, it, you know, my previous job to this was on the IPSA team for about five years. And you know, a lot of IPSA is about the HR data in the Army and how do you synchronize and get that data better. Um, well, we, we were looking for folks that had data expertise, system expertise, et cetera. Um, and so we, when we went and looked at our, our systems, we, we really couldn't see data expert um, in the system. And so we, we, we kind of cast a, a, a wide net. We used some recruiting uh, mechanisms on Facebook, on email, and, and what we found was a lot of folks then responded to that. And as we started to talk to them, they had some significant data or technical expertise that just wasn't in their personnel file. So, you know, an officer we ended up uh, pulling onto the IPSA team, his name was Major Ali Akani, and you know what, he was an expert in data. Um, but if you looked at his file, you know, you saw that he was an AG officer and his, and his undergraduate degree was psychology. Um, you didn't see that he was a data expert. But once you started to talk to him, it's like, wow, he has this talent that we could really utilize in this program that's a big Army strategic problem set that, that, that we're trying to solve. Um, so we pulled him on the team. Well, AIM allows officers like Ollie and, and, and every single uh, other officer to self-profess those talents. Um, there's a resume function, but then there's also 
um, knowledge, skills, and behaviors that they can identify that then go into their personnel file that we'll be able to use moving forward. And really the intent, big picture, strategic uh, picture of AIM is to really broaden that data and that understanding of that data and the talents of our officer corps, that then we could start to match those individuals uh, to units or other problem sets longer term. And, and really it's a big change management effort uh, over the last four years getting officers involved uh, directly in this process, identifying talents, and then linking them uh, to a discussion with their commanders or the, or the units that are out there. So that, that's just some of the biggest change uh, that, that I like to hone in on and identify um, for the Army. It's, it's a big change for the Army, but it's a really, really good change, and it's tied ultimately to readiness. Um, but I do want to pass it to Audley. He's been working at the last four cycles. You know, Ali, what, what are you seeing as you're interacting with officers and units out there uh, on the so what of, of AIM in the marketplace? Yes, sir. So what I'm seeing out in the field and, and observing officers and units go through the cycle is that um, units are trying to figure out, hey, what do I, what do I need officer-wise? And they have AIM as a tool, and there are some search functions in there where they can then uh, identify officers that they feel are good talent fits for the organization. And officers are doing the same thing hey, I know I need to get Katie or I know I need to go to this assignment or that assignment, but how is that going to help me either develop my talents that I currently have or hone in some other talents that I want to work on? And so, you know, given the conversation of KSBs, um, this is where I, I want to introduce the... What are KSBs, sir? I don't want to, you know, some folks, I'm going to interrupt you, I don't want to, right? But some folks listening, you know, they may not know what a KSB is. We might have an S1 and CIC out there or something. We could elaborate on that real quick. Yeah. So, so KSBPs are, uh, you have your knowledge, your skills, your, your behaviors, and then your preferences, right? So in simple terms, knowledge is what I do. Uh, you know, your skills are what can I do. Your behaviors are how do I act, and then your preferences are what do I pursue. And so, uh, you know, to codify that, um, we've also published the Army Talent Attribute Framework. And what that does is it breaks out the 199 KSBs, which each have their own ID number, a definition, and then it allows you to look at the, the 21 uh, talent domains and the seven talents. And then that allows units and officers to quantifiably identify, hey, what do I need? Officer, self-assess, what are you good at, right? And, and this is where we need to drive the conversation on outside of what you see on my ORB and maybe some of what you see on my resume, what are the things that we both can benefit from by seeking one another out in the market? Um, and, that's, and that's currently where the conversation's going at, the, at this point, sir. Yeah, I, I think you said ATAF, um, you know, that, that, uh, that framework for KSBs. I mean, that's a major initiative, uh, the Talent Management Task Force, and they're working with the Army Research Institute as well as TRADOC um, to really drive um, this throughout the Army, um, both on the training base side and identifying what KSBs tie to jobs in an officer's career. And then we're, we're exercising really that change um, in the officer corps to say, hey, we're starting um, to identify these KSBs. You know, what, what do you see? What do you profess? And then how do we use that in the assignments process and then longer term um, as we determine um, who our strategic leaders are? Um, it, you know, it's very consistent also with how we've rolled out BCAP and CCAP, you know, those battalion command and, and colonel command uh, assessment programs. Uh, you know, they're essentially measuring um, some KSBs in, in that process. And it's, it's how do you bring all that together longer term? Um, and so the market is one piece of this vision that the chief has rolled out about talent management. 
while it ties into these other pieces that are ongoing. So for, from my perspective, it's just exciting to see, hey, we're, we're all kind of moving in a direction, but, but the direction is really about readiness, right? How do we identify the skills and our best talent and what are those talents? And then how do we use those talents? Um, you, you know, again, the example of IPSE is we brought in a bunch of folks that had all kinds of great talent um, in the data and systems arena, yet you would never have known by looking at their ORB. Their ORB said that they went to West Point and they were an engineer officer, or they went to um, a ROTC school and they, they were an FA officer, or in the case of Ollie, he's an AG officer. But you couldn't see that, hey, they can code. They understand you know, things like R and Python, which is really important to data um, and how you bring data together, um, or that they could assist um, human Resources Command, as well as the, the, the ASALT folks, and how, how do you bring all that data together in a massive project like IPSAE. Um, so this really moves us in the direction of, of exercising that change um, while building readiness. Um, but I, I kind of want to pull Chris in. Man, th this guy is like the, I won't, I won't say the architect of the algorithm, but he's, he's the one kind of watching it and, and looking at it. Maybe you can explain a little bit about the algorithm we use in the marketplace. And then oddly, let's talk about how, how then we clear the market, you, you know. Um, and then we'll, we'll, we'll circle back around and really talk about the three main phases of the market. Um, but, but Chris, talk a little bit about the, the algorithm itself. Yeah, Roger, sir. So <clears throat> I think there is a lot of misinformation or maybe just misunderstanding on how the algorithm works. And so when we say the algorithm, first of all, we're, we're talking about the Army Talent Alignment Algorithm, which is the algorithm that we use at HRC to provide a initial or sort of like a tentative assignment for every officer when the market closes. So when the market closes and we've got every officer's final preference list and we've got every unit's final preference list, the question is, what do you do with that data to slap the officers together with the requisitions and come up with that initial assignment? And the Army Talent Alignment Algorithm is, is what we use. And the cool thing about the Army Talent Alignment Algorithm is it's only got two inputs. And the inputs are the officers' preferences and the unit's preferences. And that's it. And so it's a, it's a fairly simple algorithm. Uh, folks, I, you know, I don't want to get into too much detail, but folks can, if you Google the deferred acceptance algorithm. Um, that's something that's used in the National Residency Matching Program where they uh, actually match um, folks coming out of medical school who need to go to a residency. So they use the same algorithm to assign those individuals to their residency programs. That's kind of what our uh, algorithm is modeled after. Um, but really it's about getting people their top preference. And that's why you see so many folks getting their number one preference in the market, because really that's what the algorithm is driving towards. It's about getting officers their preferences and at the same time getting units their preferences. Yeah, th thanks, Chris. Um, and let, I just want to tease something out, right? So you, you go through the market, officers and units are preferencing uh, where, where they would prefer to land, uh, you know, for a bunch of different reasons. Some of it's based on location, some of it's based on jobs available. Some of it even is based on, hey, I want to work for a certain boss. All of that's in play. Um, and, you know, obviously there's only a certain amount of jobs that are in each market. And, and our team has kind of validated those requirements and those are tied to readiness. We, we have to get units to a certain level of fill to make sure they meet their readiness requirements so they can go do their wartime mission. Really, that's the underpinning of this entire marketplace. Um, 
But when it comes to running the algorithm on the back end, um, there's a tremendous amount of folks who get kind of a one-to-one -one preference. And then, you know, me taking a look at the stats of 2202, um, that just closed. And we're, we're in the process of, of cutting RFOs for everybody that was in play for 2202. But uh, about 79% of the 12,000 officers in that market uh, got one of their top three preferences. Um, you know, a slightly smaller got one-to-ones, but, you know, we like to, we like to kind of key in on top three. Um, and then if you go to the top 10, it's really about 87% um, got one in their top 10. Um, so those are, you know, from our view, that's, that's a pretty good landing spot as we closed the market, ran the algorithm, and then did some checks uh, on MACP, EFMP, and some readiness checks on skills. Um, so we think we landed in a pretty good spot. Um, and, you know, RFOs are being cut a as we speak. Um, so I think we're in a good spot there. Ali, you want to pick up a little bit here? Yeah, so um, as, as uh, Major Fisher noted, um, career managers will go in and we will run uh, what we just call the ATOC, right, Army Talent Alignment Algorithm. And then that gives us an initial slate of officers given all preferences in the market. And just to highlight to folks um, in the field how, how, much preferences, how many preferences we typically see, uh, just in my market alone, I calculated about 87,000 preferences between officers and units. So we're talking about a lot of preferences between, um, you know, both officers and units. And then that provides us an initial slate of, of, of officers to units, and then as uh, both Major Fisher and Colonel Johnson highlighted, um, based on the ATAP XORD, we then have to clear the market based on specific business rules to ensure that not only meeting Army readiness, but we're also looking at some, um, some policy-driven things to make sure that officers are getting assignments that meet their specific requirements. A few of those are EFMP, uh, the Exceptional Family Member Program, so the officer has to be cleared. Sometimes there are issues with that, you also have uh, things that, um, you have MACP, Married Army Couples Program. So you're either aligning spouses to um, lo uh, duty locations, given what's available. Um, and that takes a lot of uh, coordination during phase two of the market execution. Uh, and then you also have other things that um, have to be factored in. Some officers have some legal and medical issues that prevent them from, from moving. Um, some officers may be aligned to a specific assignment that uh, they are not a KSB, uh, KSB match for, and it's, it doesn't meet Army readiness requirements. Um, and then some other things, uh, situations develop with officers. So an officer may be slated to an assignment. We may notify and, and issue an RFO to that officer, only to realize that the officer may need a compassionate reassignment to another location uh, for, for uh, a circumstance that is covered under the regulation. And so uh, I mentioned those things because although they are a smaller part of the market, they do happen and they require the career managers to make certain adjustments to the slate uh, to make sure that we're meeting readiness requirements for both officers and units. Is, is that a fair uh, explanation, sir? No, I, I, absolutely. And really, if you, if you laid it out on a timeline, right, you know, there's three phases to the market. And the, the first phase is really preparation. It's, it's where units and their S1s and their commanders are really identifying who's a mover and then making sure that site picture is, is, is consistent with what uh, we see on our analyst side here at HRC. Um, and then the, the phase two is executing the market where, you know, back and forth units and officers are talking. And then oddly, and, and Chris are really talking about phase three, which is what we call clear the market. Um, you know, not to get too technical, but there's an X order that kind of establishes our business rules uh, that we're using to, to view how we would, uh, you know, what areas that we were, we have the ability to break a match. Um, 
you know, the guidance to the team is, hey, don't break a one-to-one unless it, it meets the, the business rules inside this, this X order that we're operating under. So the, the biggest breaks, um, and the numbers are small, right? So I had talked about 79% of folks getting a top three preference. Um, that, that's after we made about 5% breaks for MACP, EFMP, and a few readiness reasons. So again, out of the whole 12,000 uh, that were involved in 2202, um, there's about, you know, I would say about 500 folks um, that had a break for one of those three reasons. So we're really talking about a, a, a small number of breaks coming out of the team here at HRC as, as we're watching, you know, what, what's going on. But, you know, one of the easiest examples of a breaks is, hey, if, if an officer doesn't clear EFMP at, at a site, okay, we're, we're not going to send them to a place where they can't have medical coverage uh, you know, wherever that may be. So we're going to make a break and we're going to put them into a spot um, that, that they can get that medical coverage for themselves or the family. You know, another is, you know, we, we saw some folks land in OC positions um, that are, you know, pre-KD captain or, or pre-KD major. Um, so a career manager would make a break there. We want to make sure that person has the right skill set and experience to actually do that job. Um, so a few breaks in that in that in that scenario, um, and and a few others, um, but really small amount of breaks in 2202 so far, um, standing about five percent of that that 12,000 folks in in play. What what you'll see from our team going forward is really the development of a scorecard for units, um, because we're really driving transparency. Uh, we want units to know, hey, as the market ended, th this is how that unit fared. Um, this is how many one-to-one -one breaks were made. This is how many were made, um, right? Here's your top three, and then how you did on, on, on manning guidance. Uh, HRC's pretty committed to, to driving that transparent discussion. Uh, and then most of our career managers are already having very, very candid discussions with officers as they engage with them. So um, pretty happy with, with uh, where we're on, on, that, on that transparency side. Gentlemen, for a non-AG person and an enlisted per guy, right? I, thank you for laying down a very uh, simple and, and consumable uh, process of the market. I get it, right? I got the overarching kind of points of it. But I'm going to flip this question back on some things that maybe our listeners want to hear. So, sir, correct, I heard the 79% top three after adjustments were made that were directly based off the X order, which, you know, I'm sure it's transparent and the soldier can go see what the reasons are. So, for Captain Campbell, sir, to you, what would you tell those top those other, excuse me, not top, those other 21% of folks who did not get their top three, what guidance would you give them as a career manager uh, moving forward? Yeah, and, and I appreciate the question. It's one that I often get from officers. Um, the first thing I will say, it's about flexibility, right? Um, I think uh, Colonel Johnson highlighted it, and it's really important. I, highlight, I always highlight it to officers. We are asking officers for their preferences, right? But, but with that, we're also meeting Army readiness requirements. And sometimes officers prefer... Uh, as a group to be in places and assignments that may not always align with Army readiness at that time. And so with that, the gap is you, you may have assignments in the market that you don't prefer, but you may be aligned to based on your, your preferences and that unit's preferences. And so um, you have to be flexible when you approach the market. So um, a word I'll use is pinpointing. So if you're, if you're telling your career manager, I have to be at this assignment at this time, um, it, it's, it's a tough going in position. Uh, because once we get those validated assignments and we work with Major Fisher and the team uh, plans and policy and, and uh, the AC distro chief, 
once we validate those, those requirements, those are the requirements within that cycle that we are going to fill in the market via the preferences. Um, so the first thing I mentioned is flexibility, um, sorry. The, se the second thing I would, I would mention is you have to be engaged. Um, and sir, you and I have had this conversation. Um, units have to be engaged and officers have to be engaged. So um, what also is challenging is if you just, you preference and then you walk away from, you walk away from the process without actually really fleshing out what is the right talent fit for you at the time. And so your, your preferences have to be aligned with your effort in the market to have your references reach out to units, to engage units, ask questions, conduct interviews. And so all those things are also important uh, to, to being successful in the market. No, thanks, sir. What I hear is you can't be passive. You have to be active in the market, both on the unit and the commander side and the, and the AS1 side and the soldier and the officer, soldier themselves have to be active. It's not a fire and forget thing. And, and both entities, unit and officer, need to put uh, the work in. Uh, sir, you look like you have something to say, Colonel Johnson? Well, I was, you know, 100% on what you just said. you got to be active. Um, and, you know, units that are most successful are the ones that go into the market with a game plan. Right. There's a clear commander's intent. They, they, they clearly understand how they're going to engage with officers in the market and then they carry that out. And the, the same thing with an officer, officers that are the most successful of, you know, they've identified their, their KSBs and, and their skills in their resume. And then they engage, um, you know, actively uh, with units to to get to the interview phase so they can they can talk a little bit about themselves uh, and shape, you know, where they're going. Um, I also think that officers who, who preference deeply tend to do better as well. So, right, if you only preference one, two, and three, um, then, you know, you're clearly probably not going to get inside of your top ten if you don't hit those one, two, and three, right, because it doesn't exist. So that's some of that percentage where, where folks just did not uh, preference deeply, uh, and there's a little bit of noise there. And then there's that just that little bit of noise of, you know, we call it turbulence that, that's tied back to EFMP and MACP. Um, you know, there's just some things going on in, in the market that, that makes those matches have to be done by a career manager at the end. Um, but, but, you know, I want to highlight a little bit, and this is, you know, as I engage with battalion and brigade commanders, primarily at PCC, but also as I, as I travel around, um, I, I really ask them to continue to counsel their officers on, you know, kind of their career paths, right? So if, and goals matter, right? So if an officer's personal goal is to be a battalion commander in that branch, then there's some experiences that really matter along that path. Um, if that officer's going to want to, you know, V-tip or transition to a, a functional area or another branch, right? Experiences leading to that in state and that goal matter as well. Um, so all of that dialogue, you know, matters um, for our officer corps. And it always has been, uh, and it always has. Um, but, you know, that's just one thing I like to highlight. You know, that, that goal of an officer matters, um, you know, for, for their career. And as long as we can keep that dialogue going and that discussion open, um, I think we're in a good spot for readiness, you know, overarchingly. Um, and then again, it's just about transparency. Um, you know, that openness, that dialogue, um, understanding where you can go, um, et cetera. Um, OP, right, the, our section of officer management here at HRC has a lot of programs that are tied to broadening, um, that are tied to, uh, you know, formal education, um, and that are tied to transitioning from a basic branch as well. And so those are all in play also uh, in addition to the market. 
Um, but uh, a lot going on there. However, um, it really rests back down to, hey, what's that officer's career goals? And, you know, their bosses, and you know, engaging with them uh, and shaping those goals and, and, and tying it to, to development over time. But uh, if, if we can, I do want to kind of transition over here to, to Chris, maybe have him tell us a little bit about phase one. Um, you, you know, I don't want to say the infamous phase one, but it's like where jobs get validated and, and that's what we call a requirement. Um, and all those requirements are tied to manning guidance and we got to ensure units are at readiness levels. All of that's in play too, but Chris, maybe talk a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely, sir. That's probably the least uh, discussed or understood part of the market, I would say, is phase one. And, uh, and I, I don't know that I'd say it's the most important, but it's pretty darn important too, making sure that we're setting the stage for the actual execution. So phase one, and we're actually in phase one right now for 2301, so that's the next cycle after 2202. But phase one uh, kind of kicks off with um, identifying, and this is a heavy lift for the career managers like Audley, identifying what officers are gonna be PCSing in that following cycle. And that's, I think a lot of folks think that, hey, HRC says when you've been on station for three years, you just have to move, and that's not really the case at all. Uh, it happens through a conversation between the career managers, the officers, the officers' units. Um, and then, like you were saying, sir, it depends on each individual officer's uh, career goals and what they're trying to do. You know, are they trying to go to grad school? Or are they just trying to continue on sort of the DAPAM 600-3 um, route to command or what they're trying to do? So the career managers work and determine who's going to be participating in the upcoming market. And right after that, we go into... Um, sort of requisition validation where we determine what positions are going to be in this market. So in Audley's case, he's the infantry captain career manager. So if there's 100 infantry captains, we probably can't fill 200 infantry captain jobs in the market. Probably need to cap it at about 100. And so the question is, how do you prioritize if the Army has 200 vacancies for infantry captains, how do you pick the 100 that we're going to fill in this cycle? And that process is a little complicated, but it involves something called the MER. So that's the Mission Essential Requirements List. And that is where units uh, actually go in. And, and I didn't know this until I worked here. Units actually work, communicate with HRC just like officers do. So we have the account managers over in uh, AC Distro. Flashing light right now. <laughs> Flashing light right now. Thank you. So the, uh, so the account managers over in AC Distro work with units. They're like the career managers for units. And they, and they talk to the units and they figure out, okay, what are your priorities for this upcoming cycle? Units input that data. Units log into AIM prior to the market opening, a different portion of AIM, and actually input their prioritization of the potential requisitions. We call them vacancies. So their vacancies, how, do, how are they prioritized? And we take all that data the career managers and the account managers scrub all that data. And when I say they scrub it, I'm talking line by line through over 10,000 vacancies, sometimes closer to 20,000, to determine, hey, what are our priorities as the Army in order to fill these units up to their ACMG requirements? And that kind of culminates in the distribution conference, which is where we sit down for a week. We put all the account managers in a, in a room. Well, it's virtual now, so we sit in a Teams room every account manager, every career manager, and we go, we do, we do it by um, skill and grade. So we'll start with the infantry lieutenant colonels and we'll suss out what are the positions that are gonna help the Army the most achieve their ACMG goals, while also 
ensuring that we're giving the moving population the kind of flexibility and positions that they need for their career development as well. Sir, you said something, you said the ACMG. So I know what that means, but for our listeners, can you just touch on what the ACMG is and what and why, what's in, uh, why is it important to this process? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Mr. So the ACMG, it's the Active Component Manning Guidance. And it is the Army essentially bin, I'll, I'll simplify it, the Army essentially bins units and says, we don't have enough inventory to fill every unit to 100% to their authorizations. And so what the ACMG does is it categorizes units, and we do it at the brigade level, the DMSL. Uh, oh, gosh, I don't even. That's good enough. I don't even know what that stands yeah, for. At the brigade level. <laughs> the distribution manning sub-level, I think, is what it stands for. And we, we, uh, we categorize units into one of three categories, and it basically tells us, hey, based on this unit's current mission, how much are we going to fill them? It just it just prioritizes units, right? You have different types of units, and in, in the ACMG, the Manning Guidance just prioritize, you know, fill. Um, and so there's always this tension, right? You know, how many how many officers are in play? How many you know on the enlisted side? How many NCOs and soldiers are in play? And then how do you level set so you can get those units to those levels of fill so they can go do their wartime mission? Um, you know, phase one is so important. It is so important, you know, I'm, I'm like stamping my foot here. And, and, you know, the message really is for really two audiences. It's for battalion and brigade commanders that they, they intimately need to be involved with their S1s as we go and lead into phase one. Because they're making determinations on what officers should leave their formations or what officers should be extended in their formations. And this is back to that, that counseling leader development discussion about goals, et cetera, for officers. So if, if battalion commanders and brigade commanders are keeping their pulse there and then shaping the information that's getting to us in phase one, then we're, we're gonna end up validating the right numbers uh, for their units. Um, but that's, that's a terribly involved process. Um, I would ask those battalion and brigade commanders out there that are listening, hey, just ask your S1s. Hey, are you talking to the account folks at HRC? Um, I, I think that is like the best question to ask because I'm on the flip asking my account managers here at HRC, are you talking to that brigade's S1? And, you know, Chris loves me on this, right? Okay, show me what units you've talked to. And if you haven't talked to them before the, the MER is due, then we're going to end up engaging at, at my level back to the unit to say, hey, we, we need to close that gap on, on a discussion. Um, and then... The, the conference, right? It's just trying to level set. Um, a lot involved in it. Um, it's complex. Um, one, one could say, hey, HRC, you can kind of see who's available and who's not available. Um, I, I would say that, hey, there's context from a unit that we just don't understand, that, that we really want that brigade commander, that battalion commander, that S1 to tell us, what is the context that I can't see? Um, you know, I'm not just a person who likes to run an algorithm, right? It's like, no, let's understand some of the context uh, and then make some decisions based on that context, um, et cetera. So they, the, the team here does a, a pretty good job trying to jam all that together, um, talk through it. Um, and then inevitably, we, we generally talk to folks on the back end of phase one as the requirements go back out to units to say, hey, you're going to get 50 people, you're going to get 20 people, you're going to get you know, one person. Um, there's generally some, some back and forth talk there, oddly. And, and for the folks in the field, thank you, sir. We, we may not have mentioned this, but 
Um, a lot of that is done in, in what we call here ORD, or Operational Readiness Division. So they do a lot of um, the heavy lifting for phase one. But, but I think it's, it's important to offer the perspective from, from the assignment branches and divisions. And so um, just a, a quick couple notes. I think uh, Colonel Johnson and Major Fisher are hitting it. But coming from, from an assignment branch, units, yeah, you have to reach out to your account manager and have those, those timely discussions before your MER, during your MER, and after your MER to make sure that we have the right common operation, a common operational picture going into conference. Um, the second piece is, um, and so we had this conversation during our, uh, during our, our, our trip to uh, Fort Jackson, which is um, it, it, the market is, a, is an infinite game, right? So they, the cycles overlap. So when you're coming at the tail end of a cycle, um, it's important to see that the preparation for the, the next cycle is already occurring before the previous cycle is even over. So it, it, it's, an, it's, it's a nonstop you know, fl uh, flurry of tasks that have to be accomplished in order to make sure that we're going into this with the right information. Uh, and the third piece is um, communicate those adjustments and those things that we may not know at the HRC or enterprise level. So, um, and you can have that discussion with your account manager, um, with the, the assignment branch or the assignment division that, that affects um, whatever assignments you want to influence. That way, when we go into conference, it is very much a collaboration. It's not just um, distro saying, hey, you're going to take these assignments. And it's not just the assignment division saying, okay, I'm only going to give you these officers, but not these. Or it is a collaboration between all of the, the teams here, uh, a team of teams, so to speak, uh, to make sure that we are, we are enabling readiness at the Army level. And so I, I, I want to highlight that. And for officers, um, you, got, you have to talk to your career manager, right? Sign up for that, sign up for that career interview. Oh, so for me, uh, I, I interviewed 75% of my movers in the cycle, and that's my goal, 75%. I want to hit at least that because I want to share with you uh, where you are in relation to your peers, uh, help you understand what you need to do to accomplish your goals, and also encourage you, um, as Colonel Johnson said, um, just like he's asking the brigade and battalion commanders to counsel their folks, I'm telling officers, seek that counseling from your, your raider or your seed raider or your commanders. That way, in, in conjunction with, with me, we're, you're getting a full sight picture of where you are. Um, and then uh, the last piece of that is for units and officers, um, at, a, at the HRC level, we're sending you a lot of information. Uh, ORD sending out training. So I, I think, uh, actually, we have training this week, MER training for 2301. Am I correct, sir? Yeah, that's right. Okay, so yeah, even assignment, we know this. So um, make sure that you're reading all those correspondences because when you miss those important emails, and they come in all forms, they come on uh, Mill Suite, we might send you something in Outlook, uh, we might have something on our website, HRC website. And so you've got to look at all those things because um, they're very timely. So whatever, whatever um, form that we're communicating that information, if you have questions about it or you don't know where to find it, let us know so we can help you get to that information. No, thanks, sir. What I'm hearing, like, again, I'm going to regurgitate it back to you because you all the officers, you all own this, you are the SMEs, and I, I'm not. So if I can maybe get it right, maybe the folks listening. You know, phase one is important. It sets the foundation, and units and commanders uh, need to get left of it. So if I'm managing people, and people are priority for my organization, I'm battalion brigade commander, I'm battalion brigade S1, the time is not in phase two to worry that Bob and Susie are leaving, and I wish I could have, should have identified things earlier. It's get left of, uh, and which all align with you know what you your team is trying to do, sir, and the Army senior leaders, which is transparency, preferences, readiness for the Army. And uh, I, that's what my takeaway is, get left of. So if you're a unit and you're an S1, get left of the MER, do your planning, do your MDMP process, get things right, work with your account managers and get all the accurate right information to your readiness division. 
Uh, and if you're a soldier, if I'm a, if I'm Captain Bob out there, I need to stay in contact, consistent contact, engage, active in my career with my career manager, and get left of when it's time for me to get you know when what cycle I'm in. I should know that, right? I shouldn't wait for an email say I'm in a cycle. I should be left of that in constant dialogue with my raider, my senior raider, battalion brigade commander, and my career manager. Does that, does that sound right to you, gentlemen? It sounds yeah, hundred percent. Sounds hundred percent right. Um, you know, on the officer side, it's we call it agency. Right, a take ownership of of your own career as well, and the market is allowing that agency because you you, you do have that ability to to preference uh, based on multiple uh, multiples of factors. Um, but getting to the left of it, talking to your boss, right, Just talking about your your kind of where you sit and you know what what might be good in the future for you um, and then your goals, and then tying it back to the the career manager, you know. The, Career managers are gonna gonna tell you straight. This is kind of what they see. Um, that's one data point, right? Your your boss is one data point. You know, you got to think about both um, as you kind of shape your career path and and think through. You know, what are options moving forward? Um, but you know, agency goes along with transparency. It's another one of those key things um, that we really like about the market um, where we're at. You know, I do want to tease one thing out with what Audley said. You know, we, we went to the AG schoolhouse and taught a group of, of uh, captains and lieutenants, and, and we're going to do that again uh, here in a couple of months, um, really trying to embed um, this kind of training approach um, to how, how an S1 can help their boss execute the market at the battalion and the brigade level and even the G1 level, and really partnering with the schoolhouse to to lay that in because a lot of this is, yeah, you, you almost can just lay out a timeline of actions that need to be taken tied to manning and readiness and leader development and, and just execute it along a path. Uh, you know, obviously there's operational implications. You know, you need teams ready to deploy at certain times, et cetera. But all that being said, you, you can lay that out, work with your boss, work with HRC and really make that process flow um, as smooth as possible um, to ensure readiness and then to, to ensure development uh, of the officer corps. So re really excited about that. And then, you, you know, because we're, we're probably, what, 30 minutes into this? Yeah, I think we still got some time, sir, if we, you know, keep digging deeper because this is a very important topic. And, yeah. and um, not to cut you off, but I'm going to throw this one out there for your talking points, too, is that this is the fourth completed cycle. Yeah. And, and I think a, a good point for our listeners to know is that this is a living organism, this marketplace, this 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 uh, AIM-2. So what happened in the first ever iteration and then what's going to happen next iteration could slightly change because this thing is adaptive to meet Army readiness. So uh, as you uh, tee up some other things, sir, if you could look at that and talk to that point too, and then also anything you've learned collectively, you three gentlemen, from iteration one, market one, uh, to the closure of the most recent one, sir. Yeah, I, I think we've learned a tremendous amount. Um, and yeah, just to key in on fourth big iteration, we just executed and, and we've changed the market a little bit each time based on lessons learned. In fact, we've tasked the team just to do a pretty deep holistic AAR coming out of 2202 um, to identify, you know, what needs to change, you know, moving forward um, to support readiness and to, to really facilitate, um, you know, transparency, et cetera. You, you know, one, one of my um, observations was, hey, we really need to tell brigades what specifically happened as we closed the market. 
um, and give them a scorecard. And so Chris and his team are working towards you know, automating that so then we can give that um, in a future market um, to brigade commanders, battalion commanders, and, and units to see, hey, this is what specifically happening so, uh, happened in that market, really to close the gap of, hey, how many one-to-ones did you have? Um, because, you, you know, the career managers are involved, right? We've talked a lot about it. They're talking to officers. They're talking to commanders. Um, they, they give advice um, really tied to folks' goals. Um, but they're really not in there changing a bunch of things. But it, in certain parts of the Army, there's a perception that, that some at HRC are really changing the assignments. And, you know, as we talk through the numbers, uh, that's not really happening. But but units can't totally see it. So we're really committed to getting to that level of transparency to talk um, a lot about that. Um, and then we're, we're also working on the timing of, hey, you have finished the conference in phase one. How much time do units have to, to get ready to execute as they've seen what requisitions were validated, how many you know, slots they have. There's immaterial billets that were branched a certain branch um, right, that, that tends to be, um, you know, controversial to a certain extent, but uh, I, I think we have a, a decent process that's transparent and really gives that, that, um, that understanding to units. But, you know, so, so the timing of that. Um, and then, you know, one big thing I'll, I'll kind of state that we're asking help on is, you know, more identification of skills on the officer side. Um, and then on the unit side, too. On the officers, it's like we really want to know what skills you have that maybe aren't linked 100% to your MLS in your right. grade. You know, what, what do you have that really can help the Army? Um, understanding that is really important for us. And then on the unit side, if you know you're looking for a certain thing, a certain skill set, certain experience, then lay that into the opening, the position opening that you have, that will help link, you know, folks that are out there to, to that job. Um, so that would be one of the asks and one of the things we've learned, you, you know, coming uh, up until this point. Um, but Chris, what, what, what might you share on lesson learned up until this point? Um, well, you know, sir, I think one of the big lessons learned is just when you stand up a new process like this, like we did, and it was really 2002, right when I first got here, that we did that first big summer cycle, and you kind of don't know what you don't know early on. And I think what we've tried to do is make improvements, like you said, that are in increasing transparency. There's also process stuff we're doing that some folks might not see, um, adjusting timelines. I'm pretty excited because 2202 was our first summer cycle where we got RFOs out prior to Christmas. So the last couple of summer cycles, we weren't, you know, the, our process wasn't well established and RFOs didn't really start going out until February. So we shaved, you know, a good month and a half off of the timeline for a lot of officers. And I think that makes a big difference. So I'm pretty fired up about that change. And then also um, just working on, on some of the, the finer points. And like you said, sir, we've got, we're going to do that big detailed AAR in the coming weeks. And, and just looking for ways that we can give officers the right level of transparency so that they are seeing the positions that they're eligible for in the market and that are, are, are right for them. In some instances, we've maybe gone too far that way, you know, and in some instances we're showing officers positions in the market um, that they may not be uh, eligible for and I think some folks have expressed frustration so just things like that where we're trying to hone in on transparency 
both in slating and also in the market so that we're showing officers the right positions here. Yeah, that, that's a great point on the RFOs too. I mean, we, we, we've already started to execute 2202. You know, we're in January. Um, yeah, the team's really moving out hard on that. Um, it's a great point. Um, Oddly, what, what do you see from your, from your vantage? And thank you, sir. And I'll offer three things. I think one of them I mentioned already, but the first thing is flexibility, right? Because we're talking about Army readiness requirements, your, your approach to the market, whether you're the unit or the officer, has to be flexible. Um, and, and, and transparency doesn't always mean just because I see it, I'm going to get what I, what I want or what I desire. Um, and so the more flexible you are with your approach to the market and understanding what you bring to the fight and what the unit needs at that time um, is going to help everyone at the, at the aggregate level be more successful. The second piece is uh, plan and, and prepare early. Um, and we talked about some of that, whether it's the unit reaching out to the account manager or the officer reaching out to the, um, to the career manager. Um, the earlier you reach out in, in, refer in relation to the cycle, the more understanding that we're gonna have going into that. And then the last piece is um, creating a common, op common operational picture uh, for everyone. So if your account manager knows and your career manager knows, right, then we know. And then if, and if you have shared with us and the account manager knows, and the career manager knows that the collaborative efforts between us and the, and the officers and units in the field, it, it makes it a better experience for everyone in general. So be flexible, plan and prepare early, and then lastly, uh, create, a, create a shared understanding or a common operational picture um, with, with everybody involved, all the stakeholders. You, you know, one other thing I would add, um, and this is just an acknowledgement, um, th this, is, this is a workload for units, right? It, it's... It's, it's time that they have to spend focused on this uh, on multiple fronts, right? You know, prepping officers to, to move, uh, but then also prepping uh, to receive interview and, and select the talent that, that they want. Um, and, you know, the workforce didn't grow, you know, in these brigades and battalions. So there's an acknowledgement from us that, hey, that, that, this, this is an ask, um, but it, it's tied to all those reasons why we said it's good. Um, we're really trying to get officers to buy in to our profession, you know, via, and their career paths, um, and ultimately put our best talent in places um, that make sense for readiness and for their own preferences. Um, so really important there to our long-term um, retention uh, goals, et cetera. Um, but we, we acknowledge that, hey, there, there's probably some tools that we can help with and we have that kind of on, on the docket here to think through, you know, how do we help units move through the market maybe a little more efficiently, understand who's in the market, understand the, the KSBs of, of folks. Um, so we're, we're working through that and thinking through that. Some of that is tied to the rollout of IPSA as, as it comes online at the end of this year uh, and as we transition this process into IPSA. Um, some of that is tied to that, but, but it's, a, it's an understanding on our side that we, we need to help units um, navigate the market uh, in ways. Uh, and then a lot of it is just us uh, dialoguing uh, maybe a little more um, across the board holistically um, on education and training on how the market works. So that's, that's, our, um, that's our initiative down at the AG Schoolhouse. Um, it's, it will we'll transition how we talk at AG, G1, PCC, and then also how we talk to battalion and brigade commanders at, at PCC out at Leavenworth. So a lot of that is to really shape, you know, the understanding of where we're at, how this is working, you know, how can you get transparent, you know, answers to some of your questions. And then um, ultimately, I'm just, I'm just pretty proud of like these guys sitting next to me and, and the team. They're, 
they're really working hard to make this work um, for our army and for our units. Um, and their their customer service is is wide open, right? So if brigade commanders have questions, um, if S ones have questions, um, they just need to hit you know our career managers, our account guys uh, and gals, and then ultimately me too. I'm pretty I'm pretty responsive to to whatever comes our way and solving folks. Um, you know, issues as they bring them up. No, thanks, sir. Uh, gentlemen, I'm going to close this out for us because, you know, we hit a lot of good points here. Probably one of our longest podcasts, which is good. This is important. And my take, take, key takeaway for me that I would like to pass on to our listeners is you, you said it, Colonel Johnson, agency, ownership. I, I would personally tie all this together as ownership. You know, own your career. You know, Captain Campbell, sir, you said, you know, go in there and, and list all of your, your uh, your skill set all as deep as possible, sir. Colonel Johnson, you said, you know, units get down. What skills? What what do you need for your unit? List them all out. Put the thought process in there. So the, all that equates to me is more data. So own your part of the process. Fill these you know IT systems out. These re resumes. These requirements as deep as possible with as much as possible, which will give your team the the correct information. Um, and then everyone own their part and, and put the time in up front. Uh, because fundamentally, in the last two years, you have changed the army. You know, let, let's not forget that. Like the way we used to do business in the officer corps and how you assign people to the way you do it today is drastically different. And sir, everything you just said still sounds like your team is staying in a continuous process improvement state. Which that alone is just hard. That mindset is a growth mindset over a fixed mindset, and, you, and your team is driving hard. So thank you all, gentlemen, for your time. Um, and if you, our audience, have any additional questions, you can go to the HRC website at www.hrc.army.mil or call 188-ARMY-HRC. That's 1-888-276-9472. If you like this podcast, follow us on Google, iTunes, or Spotify. I'm Master Sergeant Riddell, and I hope you come back for the next episode of your HRC Personnel File. Your Personnel File is a monthly podcast brought to you by Army Human Resources Command Public Affairs located at Fort Knox, Kentucky. This episode was produced by Ms. Fonda Bach. It was edited by Scott Bacalars and Hyang Go. The production was supported by the entire HRC Public Affairs and Audiovisual team.